This is episode 118 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Nancy Lee Gerson. Nancy is a certified equine gestalt coach who partners with her herd of horses to help people deepen their self-awareness, heal from long-buried wounds, and reignite their passion for life. Her memoir, The Horse Who Changed My Life, My Serendipitous Journey Through Equus, is a heartfelt story documenting the life-changing, serendipitous journey of a New York City lawyer who learned how to deepen her capacity to connect to the wisdom of her heart through horses. Settle up for an inspiring conversation about the life-changing power of horses, embracing serendipitous journeys, leaning into interspecies connections, and seeking synchronicities. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm so excited to have Nancy Gerson on the show with me. Hi, Nancy. Welcome. I'm just as excited, I am sure. <laughs> well, I'm so happy you're here. And for people who listen to the show, or if you're new, welcome. How I always like to kick these interviews off is asking authors how horses have touched their lives. So Nancy, would you share a little bit about that with us? Yeah, that could take up the whole hour, but <laughs> we won't do that. We have other things to get to as well. Horses, really, the title of the book says it, you know, it says the horse who changed my life. Horses in general changed my life. Um, I came to them later in life. I, I wasn't the 10-year-old girl who jumped on from the top rail of a fence, just bareback and, you know, see you, mom, see you in a four or five hours. I, I think those stories are thrilling. That wasn't my way into horses. They, they came into my life when I had an active law practice, um, marriage, children, a rock band, a folk rock band that I co-founded. Uh, and then I went on a women's horseback retreat and uh, for five days in Colorado. And four months later, I was living with a herd of horses. It's, uh, it's quite a story. That is amazing. And that inspired you to write your book, yeah. The Horse Who Changed My Life, My Serendipitous Journey Through Equus. Now, without giving too much away, tell us a little bit about the book, The the Horse. Like, I mean, that's a big jump, you know, from not being the little girl who dreamed and dragged their parents to horses and then coming to them a little later in life. I, I'm always fascinated about these stories. So share a little bit with us about the inspiration behind the book. Yeah, it's funny. Um, it's funny to be that person who's, you know, quote, got the story because I too, um, I love story. This is a whole other podcast, uh, Carly, but <laughs> story is so essential. That's a that's a whole beautiful big, 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 beautiful topic. Um, how we're storytellers and we're listeners to stories. Big, big, big unity there. So now I'm this person with that story. Um, so I kind of always look outside of it and think, wow. These last 12 years, I, I have quite a story. Who, who knew? 
Yeah, my daughters had some horseback riding in their lives. I did not know that that would be in my life. The book really it has some riding, riding components in it, but it's and it's also about the serendipities and the synchronicities that aligned to have my life become one with horses, to have a horse change my life. Um, I wanted people to really know just how it is that I came to be living down a dirt road by myself with a, a herd of horses. Um, it's not, uh, it's not the typical way. I don't have, nobody else in my family has horses. Um, so that's what I wanted the book to, uh, explore with people, how you can watch for the signs in your life, um, mm. the magical connections, and you actually can have your life be changed, whether it's with horses, as in this case, uh, or some other big change. I, I love that. I, I'm a big believer in that also that there's signs and, and, and there's a path for you to follow if you're paying attention that kind of leads you to the next phases or or this next story or you know the inspiration behind a project and in a lot of times it is something that we're not constantly doing it's like this big new bright shiny thing and it can be scary but it's also a very exciting time so looking for those looking for those clues on you know which which way to go i think really guide a lot of people whether whether they know they're there or not now you said you later in life you took a uh, horseback riding retreat in colorado can you set the table for us a little bit about what led you to to wanting to do that? I mean, did a friend tell you about it? Did you just say, I'm going to do this? I don't know. Like, let's see what um, it is. Like, what, what <laughs> happened there? Well, this is pretty wild. Yeah, I, I and I usually take it from the women's retreat onward. But for you and your audience, I'm going to scroll it back to the serendipities that came before, actually. Uh, it was July 2010. I had gone to this guitar camp for like four days and I was way over my head. It was supposed to be this like elementary level master camp, forget it. Everybody was like <laughs> zipping up and down the fretboards, you know, I was just barely catching, catching on. And we were taught these things called partial chords on the guitar, came home from it and I was sitting on the end of my bed, just trying to practice them. And a song came out of me, literally. And I, I was a songwriter, but the song came out of me with the refrain, saddle up your spirit, ride high and free and true. Saddle up your spirit, that pulsing joy is you. Saddle up your spirit, the winnings in the ride. Saddle up your spirit, no need to stem the tide. So it's the first time I think I've said that out loud like that. That was the refrain. And then a couple of weeks later, I decided I wanted to go on a retreat. Uh, it was like August 2010. I thought about a nature retreat, a women's retreat, a silent retreat. I did not think about a horse retreat, but I went to my computer right in the week that I could get away. The, onto my screen popped a horse retreat for women in Colorado. They had two slots left. Colleen Cannon from Women's Quest it's a phenomenal, phenomenal, again, a whole podcast could be on, on Colleen Cannon's incredible work. She told me to bring my guitar along. Uh, the third day we had a campfire um, gathering and I was actually able to play that brand new song, that Saddle Up Your Spirit. And then from there, I fell in love with uh, Cherokee at the retreat. That's the horse who changed my life. And I wrote another song that had the word journey in it. And then when I had to find a place to live, 
out in Colorado, I pretty I changed my life. I moved west to be with this horse. Like weeks after I had written this song with uh, the word journey in it, I find this little farmhouse in uh, Longmont, Colorado, about a half hour north of Boulder. Guess what the road was called? Journey Lane. Oh my goodness. This is yeah. magical. Yeah. Yeah. The wow. book has those kind of like magical things. Got some riding in it. Uh, and at the same time, it's really got a lot of the other the other aspects of life with the horse, the spiritual relationship, really. Oh, that is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story with us. I, I love how like those little things bubbled up and they all kind of connected to each other. It's so, so cool. Now, now tell us just a little bit about Cherokee. What kind of horse is he? What color is he? Yeah. How, how did, how was the connection? Was it right out of the gate? Did he teach you something? Like, like tell us a little bit about this special horse. I am telling you like this, this story is really wild. He's a, a gelding. He's a quarter horse. Colorado has a lot of quarter horses. He's dark bay. Uh, he's got a little white snip on his nose, asymmetrical white snip. <laughs> and here's the thing. When uh, Colleen had, it was 16 women, including myself. And when Colleen asked who had some experience and who needed to be in which of the two groups, somehow my hoof went up for the more advanced. And somehow <laughs> Colleen honored that really, truly. And I've said this to Colleen after the fact, I probably had no business being on, on him. He was a, he was a lot of horse as people say, and he protected me. This is the, the magic of it. My hoof went up. I got given to Cherokee and he to me. He was a fast horse. By the second day, the Wrangler realized that they better put Cherokee right behind him because <laughs> Cherokee kept coming out of the formation and like cantering with me. Like it was fast. I used to sneak out during the retreat. I would sneak into the, the treat shed and get some of the garlic treats and feed them to him. That was probably a good sign that being on the ground with him was going to be a large part of my relationship because the pleasure I got from that was phenomenal. Just standing with him. I had this amazing tree communion with him under one of the trees at uh, Beaver Dam Reservoir in the Indian Peaks area of the uh, Rockies. Three different women on the retreat snapped a photo of the pic of the picture of the two of us. It must have been quite a, a sight of um, union. Oh. And they sent them to me, the pictures. That was when I had my first, what I didn't even know to call an animal communication with him. Mm -hmm. Took a year and a half later with Anna Twinney to, to find out that that was an animal communication. Again, I was on the ground with him. So these were signs that um, my relationship with him would have a lot of, uh, a lot of um, connectivity right on the ground. Um, he kept me very safe though. He did. He's a, he could move fast. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, that is so, so beautiful. It's just incredible. What I love too, that you said is oh, so much of your connection with him did come from the ground. I think that sometimes people think of horses and they're, they're just to ride. I, I have that same experience with, with my animals, my horses, so much of like the relationship building and communication between us is from the ground as opposed to sitting in the saddle. Like I love riding, but I spend a lot of time with them on the ground and it, there's a lot of rewarding yeah. energy that is shared just from being on the ground. Like my, my mare that I've had since she's three, she's now uh, 19. I'll just go out there in the middle of the pasture and I'll sit on my mounting block. She'll just come up to me, put her head over my shoulder and like kind of give me a hug or she'll bounce her nose on my shoulder. And we just sit there together. And it's like, it, it's really a very cool uh, way to experience horses. And it's, 
it's nice because when you pay for writing lessons, you don't, you don't necessarily, maybe you'll groom, but you don't necessarily have the opportunity to stand there and hang out and get, get that kind of experience. So I love that you said that. I'm really delighted to hear you say that because I was going to ask you, I was going to flip the, flip the tables and ask you whether you enjoy your, your ground time as much as the riding. I had that sense about you. I call it the sacredness of caretaking them. Oh, yes. Um, here's the thing. And when I'm out in the barn, because the horses live with me, um, when I'm out in the barn, anything, scooping poop, putting ointment in an eyeball, um, putting hay into nets, it's very magical and very spiritual that there's no place I'd rather be. You know, mm -hmm. all your attention is there. Often you have, you know, a few thousand pounds of horse right around you. So you, you know, you move very consciously. But even if they're out to field and I'm in the barn by myself, doing something for them, my attention is right there. I, I don't have the laundry list of things to do going through my head nearly as much. I won't say that those errant thoughts don't come in, but not nearly as much as when I'm doing dishes or something else. There's something about barn chores and being with the horses that everything else falls away largely. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. You're speaking my language and I could not possibly agree more And that. That's really the beautiful thing of actually being able to live with your horses. I know a lot of us aren't actually able to do those things, but, but yes, uh, you know, everything does fall away and they create, and you, you mentioned it, you have to move consciously. There's an awareness that they create because they are big animals, but it's also their, they have this just calming energy. Like, you know, they're communicating with you constantly. You know, if they're irritated with their, their pasture mate, you know, if they're excited about you coming to see them. I mean, they, you know, if they don't feel there's just so they, they communicate in so many ways, but you have to slow down your mind, slow down how you're interacting and pay attention. I think horses really do p teach us to pay better attention. I'm so, yeah. I'm so glad you said that. I, I knew we were going to have an amazing conversation yeah. when you reached out to me and you shared what your book was about. And I was like, oh, this is going to be fun because I, I we're definitely yeah. on the same page. Now, a book though, right? So, so you, you, you were, you worked in law, uh, you ended up lifting your life to be with horses out West, which is so cool. And then, and then comes a book. What, what actually inspired you to take on the book? So lucky for me, I, have always been a massive journaler. Mm -hmm. So there I was down this dirt road in uh, northern Colorado, Journey Lane. It's literally a dirt road. By myself, gave up the rock band and the family, the law practice. And there I am with not just Cherokee, but Saint and Dalai Lama, more serendipities, <laughs> how they came into the life by myself with them. And I was journaling galore. I mean, everything was, there, there were no small things. The, 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 you know, the, you can say there were big ahas and little ahas. Man, Carly, they were all big ahas to me. Everything I was doing with the horses, whether caring for them physically, whether noticing their, their quietness, whether discovering, I didn't even know to call it walking at liberty. I didn't mm. know what I was doing with my horses was walking at liberty. I just had this very innocent babes innocence that if I go this way, they're going to come with me. I didn't realize that there's something very special and cool about that. <laughs> uh, it's even got a name, walking at liberty. Mm -hmm. so I massively journaled and 
when it came time to meet a girlfriend at the Pancake House on on 119 in Longmont, I let her read a, a journal entry or two, which I was, they're very intimate passages, but I, I let her read them. She's a horsewoman and she started to cry and she said, I can see the movie. Oh my, that's it great was, feedback. Uh, breathtaking, really. And I thought, okay, well, maybe a book could come from this. And I I kind of pity the person that doesn't have a lot of journals to repair to when starting, because I don't know that this book would have been written if I didn't have not just journal entries, but obsessively color-coded by theme journal entries. I'm not kidding. I, I kept <laughs> a running annotation of which entries were about animal communication, which were about poems or songs that came to me about horses, caretaking them. I, I literally had five different colors, ahas. Uh, and so writing the book was a lot easier to start off with that way. Thank goodness. <laughs> That's amazing. It's almost like your subconscious or that magical flow of the universe or, or something was actually mapping the book for you before you even knew it was going to be a book. Like that is that is really incredible. Journaling. Oh, there there's so much value in journaling. I would I recommend anyone who's a writer to keep a journal. That's that's how my first book came to life. <laughs> so I, I it, there's a there's a lot to be said for that. Now, of course, we don't want to give too much away about this magical story of yours, but are there, I mean, you've touched on some of the messages like this, the working from the ground with horses, the spiritual nature of things. Is there a message you hope readers take away after they close the final pages of, of your book? Yeah, the uh, beautiful messages. The book has a lot of, I think, inspiration for people to start noticing what in their life might be giving them a call to action. And if you get that call to action, I think it's super important to surround yourself with people who are going to, even if they're a little nervous about what you're on the brink of, at least they express enthusiasm, curiosity, support in some way. I'm I'm a big fan of not surrounding yourself with uh, naysayers. People don't have to always think your idea is what they would want to do, or even that it's an idea that they know how it's going to, how's it going to happen, but they have to be interested in it for your welfare. That's for sure. And then the book has a lot about equine gestalt coaching because I got certified as an equine gestalt coach. Melissa Pierce is the founder of the Touched by a Horse equine gestalt certification program. Lots of words, just Touched by a Horse certification program. Uh, it was a two-year program. Again, I know I'm like a, a broken record, but singing a good song. That's serendipitous too. I did not realize when I moved to Longmont, uh, I was looking at some horse care websites and I stumbled upon her website. It didn't have to do with horse care per se. Guess where she was located? I'm not kidding. Right, right next door to you, I imagine. Longmont, the other end of Longmont. Okay. <laughs> it was a 15 minute ride. That's I was incredible. She was South Longmont. Now she's in Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Colorado, a couple of hours south. But she literally was in the same town that I had moved to. Come on. That's <laughs> spiritually amazing. engineered. I, I call this all spiritually engineered. Anyway, so to circle back, people will get a sense of what um, equine coaching is like, how mm -hmm. you can have uh, healing take place in the presence of a horse. People will just get a sense that being on being on top of a horse is one way to go, and being right there on the ground 
is uh, is another way. Um, and then the practical steps you can do for bringing horses into your life. There's some of that sprinkled into the book too. Oh, I love that. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your story. I mean, these these are the stories that can lead another being to a similar journey that you've had, you know, because it's never too late. I don't think it's ever too late to live your dreams, shift your dreams, accomplish your dreams, or what's calling you forward, right? You just have to that's what life is for experiencing these, these wonderful things. And, you know, a lot of people think that they have to start off as, you know, as a little kid, seven, taking riding lessons and then do all that. And then, you know, to be a horse person, it doesn't work that way. Horses show up in your life and things show up in your life when they're supposed to. So, you know, reach out and grab those things. It's never too late. So it's, it's important. I love that you're telling that story. Now, is this your first, this is your first book, correct? It's, it's my first one. I'm writing another one now, but I do have uh, an article or an essay rather in um, a Touch by a Horse anthology. Mm-hmm. Melissa now has, they're up to, I think, the fourth anthology of Touch by a Horse stories, but I actually am in the uh, the Maiden Voyage, the Touch by a Horse anthology volume one. Mm-hmm. So I do officially have that as an authorship. Uh, this is indeed, though, the first book, actually. Yeah. So, so when, when it came time to publish it, which route did you choose? Did you go uh, the traditional route where you got an agent? Did you explore independent publishing, self-publishing and and hold the book up too? So people can see the cover because I think it's reflective of that photograph that people were taking of you in Cherokee, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely going to hold it up because I self-published. It's Redder Road Press because that's the street I'm on nowadays, Redder Road. And my incredible wildlife artist daughter, Hannah, designed the uh, book cover. Oh, that's wonderful. And the back. And she did the interior design. And what's really nice is I only put about four or five photographs in the book. But as it happens, my older daughter, when she had visited, it doesn't come out too well here, of course, but just to show, pay tribute to my other daughter, Elizabeth, she had taken the photographs that I chose to use in the book. And I didn't realize that at the time, again. (laughs) I love that. And I I love that you included your daughters in the creation of your book. And lucky for you to have a, a designer in the family. Like, that's fantastic. Yeah, I know. I know people will go different ways with their publishing. I would definitely vote for the self-publishing. I like to keep, uh, I loved having control uh, over the minutest decisions. Of course, I had my daughter there to whom to repair and she exuded patience with me as her mommy. So Mm -hmm. I don't know when you self-publish and you get yourself a, a designer, art designer and all that. I don't know how much back and forth that person is willing to have. I had the best of um, both worlds. I got to keep control. And yet I had somebody in my family who knew how to turn it into this magical book. Mm -hmm. Having to do the marketing and promoting yourself is a whole other, again, another podcast. (laughs) I do like self-publishing. I'll I'll self-publish the next one too. That's, that's great. I, I'm in the same same camp. There's lots of authors that do like a hybrid model where sometimes they'll do their own publishing and then other times they'll work with a traditional publisher. But the as has been mentioned on this show a couple of times, the wave of the support that you get from a traditional publisher is changing and authors, however you choose to publish, are now responsible for the majority of their marketing. So I like the control. I like the ownership. Like when, when you sent over the, the responses to the questions I sent, I love that you were like, oh, I love the control in bold. And I was like, yes, you know, cause you, you, you own what happens to your work for you. What has been 
the most challenging part of being an author. But then on the flip side, what has been the very best part of, of being an author? Uh, I always like to hear the answer to these questions because it varies. Sure. I'm going to do the, the, the best part first. <laughs> I just saw a parallel just spontaneously, you know, just as I said, when, when I'm doing barn chores or when I'm in the presence of horses, everything falls away. I just kind of saw this parallel. When I open up my laptop, there was a time when I was writing longhand, you know, and I mm -hmm. thought there's no way I'm going to make the creative flow happen with the computer. But that I blew right past that. I do my writing on the computer. Like you open up your, your whatever you're working on, everything else falls away. I just saw that it's that same thing. Um, I never connected the two. I love the deep dive. I, I dive into that world. They, these characters, this next book is fictional. Just character development and dialogue, the voice of the people. It's a little different than memoir. That dive into the world of your writing. I just love that. Hours and hours go by and you're encapsulated in that. So that's definitely the best part. The tricky part is there's the rest of life as well, mm. <laughs> you know, and there are other responsibilities and having to having to be pulled away from it. I actually find that's tricky, especially when there's a real uh, flow going. Mm -hmm. I don't know what other people find as the hardest part of writing. I love it so much. That's really, really what comes to mind now is just the the having to separate myself from it when that flow is still going on. That's a, that's a tricky part, a little painful. Yeah. The flow, the flow is the best part. Now, do you find, because I love getting to that stage too. I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's also very similar to the experience that you have with horses. You're just totally present. It comes alive. Your time flies by. But I think for a lot of authors, it's particularly as they're first starting, just sitting down and getting in action is difficult, right? But then when you force yourself to do it, then you get to that state and then you don't want to leave it. Did you did you find that just sitting down at any time has been a little challenging, like motivating yourself to sit there? But then once you got going, it was just fine. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes because I I'm anxious to I'm anxious to have the whole arc of my story mm. be told. And I'm only, this, I'm, I'm, I'm up here, but in my mind, it's there already. And it's not that this isn't going to be a great part to write, but I'm already in my mind and in my heart and in my soul, my story arc has gone to here. So every now and then, sure, it feels like I'm kind of slugging my way through. It dissipates pretty quickly, though, because mm -hmm. even though you you may be wanting to get to there. Once you start having the the dialogue of this character here, you're invested. You know, you do have to you do have to push through the resistance, mm -hmm. and then the magic really does start to happen. I I love writing. I don't know if it's like that for everybody else. It doesn't take that much effort to slough away any of the begrudgingness that might be there. Mm -hmm. Just got to push through. You know, I, I, I've talked with others who have that same experience sometimes with actually settling up and going for a ride. It's like for some reason there's this resistance, like I'm tired or I have to do the laundry or work was long today. But then you get out there, you settle up, you go for the ride, you feel amazing when you come back and you're like, why on earth did I resist that? I have that same experience with with writing. You know, once you sit down and do the work, it just starts happening and it's magical and then you feel great afterwards. So it's it's just a really funny little piece of 
doing something that's good for you. It's like a little hurdle you have to jump over. And then you're like, why did I ever resist this? Um, So much in life is like that, Carly, like that first step, the Mm -hmm. first step, the first step, the first step. And I don't know why my mind would draw this right now, but it's one of the one of the real beautiful masters from the early days, Ray Hunt, mm-hmm. or possibly Bill or Tom Dorrance, one of those maestros. I just was rereading something about the, the point from zero to one. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to get this right. I hope they'll forgive me and their spirits. You might want to get from zero to 10 with your horse for a particular skill. And the most important part is from zero to one, where you really, are you really there with your horse? Are you feeling into the horse? Forget the training and the uh, the increments, getting him or her to do this or that. Zero to one is what is most important with the horse right at the outset. Um, but this just is reminding me that the most important part of any task is that initial impulse right there feet on the ground or in the stirrups and the resistance has to be pushed through because then the glory is coming. It's coming. Yes. I'm so glad you said that too. It's that's exactly right. That is amazing words of wisdom for, for anyone, for anything that you take on, but, but most especially the things that are most important to you. So I, I'm really glad that you said that now I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. I asked the question, is there something your readers would be surprised to learn about you? And you already made a couple <laughs> mentions of being in a folk folk rock band and being a, a songwriter and a musician. Talk to us a little bit about that part of your life. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the name of the band. My, when I went to that horse camp in July of 2010 and wrote the, the song that had Saddle Up Your Spirit, I met... Uh, a man there who then became the co-founder of this band. Uh, he played uh, lead guitar. I played rhythm guitar. We brought on a drummer and a bass player. And I was the only singer, untrained, mind you. Um, <laughs> the Jewish population would say that I had chutzpah, didn't have any lessons, and I was barely played a little guitar. But I did a lot of uh, writing of poems and songs. Anyway, um, we had to come up with a band name once this 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 is getting real. Uh, we were only together for two years, but we put out an album, a full album. We needed a name for the band. And since I wasn't coming up with one, nor my uh, bass player, nor drummer, uh, Dave, bit of a brainiac, very um, intelligent fellow, gave us a name that we didn't, uh, we didn't say no to. So we became the Precambrian Rabbits. Oh, my goodness. Dave, Dave found on Wikipedia something about how the Precambrian age was like 25,000 years ago. And if you were to find a rabbit fossil back before that age, it would be like this phenomenal thing. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding. We became the Precambrian rabbits. Nobody voted it down. We did rehearsals at my place for um, two years, twice a week, steadily, gigged about 12 times, put out an album mostly my originals, and then a couple of the other band members and one or two covers, just one cover, one cover. And then I moved to Colorado. The way things happened, though, is our bass player had had a serious family loss and had dropped out of rehearsal. I went to this guitar camp, and then then I went on the retreat, and it all just fell into place. So it wasn't just me leaving the band. We already had kind of lost our bass player. So that's one thing about me. 
I think I mentioned already that I was a practicing attorney for about 30, 35 years. And then I recently retired from that. I'm, I'm now writing a, a piece of fiction. I've got about 270 pages of it. Oh, um, that's that's great. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's called uh, a, a Sanctuary for All. Mm. Um, it takes place in an animal rescue, kind mm. heart animal rescue. It's going to have in it some animal uh, communication, some Reiki for animals, some equine assisted uh, therapy, uh, some teens, teenagers on the autistic uh, spectrum. They're going to run the program. Mm. So it's going to weave in uh, topics that are really uh, deeply my passion and in a fictional way. So I'm having a lot of fun with character development and dialogue, really a lot of fun. <laughs> and I'm so excited for you. That is wonderful. And I can see how lit up you are with this, <laughs> this new adventure, you know, in writing and, and the shift in life. And I love that you did the, the band and you check that out. You had that awesome experience and then it shifted over here. There's, this is where you're focusing your creativity now. That's so wonderful. I wanted to ask you also, have you read or listened to anything recently that has really inspired you? Oh, yeah. I I think I have to reread it too. It's by um, Elizabeth Gilbert, Big Magic. That's a wonderful oh book. Gosh, I will confess to lying in the tub, bubble bath, <laughs> holding the book above the bubbles, laughing out loud. And I, I don't know why this is. Um, I'm not the easiest laugh. I'm not the easiest audience. I can watch comedians on TV and I might laugh at a few of the jokes. I I don't know why that is. I'm not really a, a negative Nelly, negative Nancy, um, but I don't find everything funny. That book, I mean, I was in the bathtub just laughing out loud with myself and Elizabeth Gilbert. She has just quite the way of tickling your funny bone and at the same time every sentence was like a pearl of wisdom mm -hmm. it's thrilling really hearing myself laugh and really thinking that every sentence was yeah I relate to that yeah big mm -hmm. magic that and then there's this British author Lynn Lynn Mann M-A-N-N she wrote this trilogy uh the horses know the horses rejoice and I think it's The Horse's Return. I have all three, though, True Confession. I haven't read the third one. The, the one that really knocked my socks off is uh, The Horse's No. Mm. It's the first of the trilogy. Somebody who read my book when it was just in beta form, didn't, it wasn't even bound, said that my book reminded her of Lynn Mann's book, The Horse's No. That's how I found out about Lynn Mann. And it, once I read it, I thought, what a remarkable honor for somebody to think that anything about my book, even a scintilla of it, reminded her of that book. Because you, your audience really, and you, you should check out The Horses Know if you haven't read it already. Oh, uh, that's that's a great recommendation. Now, is it nonfiction, fiction? It's fiction. The book, The Horses Know, is about these group of people who are horse-bonded. They're generally adults, but this this happens to this young girl who's still a teenager. It's when a horse comes into your life and it's the one. Mm -hmm. And in the way the story goes, people that the people to whom that happens, they have to leave their village and go off to this intentional community 
and um, amazing things are happening there. But um, they're all they're all and everybody recognizes that they are horse bonded. Mm -hmm. I'd never heard the phrase. And um, you can imagine how honored I was that Fotini thought that my book was reminiscent about uh, of that book. Oh, that is a wonderful compliment, but you are horse bonded with Cherokee, right? And I I will definitely check that out. That sounds like a fascinating, fascinating read. I love getting new recommendations. There's so many books in the world. So it's always nice to ask, like, what should I be reading? You know, know. I'm devouring them. And I think you and I are kindred spirits because I am a woman who loves to take my my book in the bathtub with the bubbles and and, <laughs> and read and giggle and have have that experience it's my favorite self-care thing to do when yeah. i'm when i'm not with my horses writing or doing all the things i have to do in life you will find me in the bathtub with a book <laughs> self-care is just so is so important people will sometimes say well are, aren't you riding them why aren't you riding your horses or why aren't you showing your horses why why aren't your horses competing or why aren't you doing this, that, or the other thing? And we all have to follow what is self-care for ourselves. And I'm so glad that more and more people are learning that they can honor that. It's not selfish in the in the negative way that that used to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the creative juices flow much better, and the world's a better place when we practice self-care. Oh. I'm just shouting a little here, but you know. No, I totally agree with you, and and thank you for that comment. That's in, that's really important. And what I what I really heard there too is your animals, and that's how I feel too. Are they are beings? They are not here to serve me. They do serve me be, because they want to. Because when I ask them to, but they are not. You know, they're beings, and it's like we we are a family, and we are a herd, and we work together, and. And like we were talking about earlier, it's the connection on the ground where I have the most magical experiences. Yes, it's a joy to ride them. And yes, I used to show and be very competitive, but that isn't where my heart is anymore. My heart is in peacefulness and bonding and connection and caretaking them and just, you know, honoring their presence. You know, we always think things have to do things for us, you know, but yeah, but they yeah. do if you just slow down and notice they're doing something without competing or yeah. winning an award or what have you. And there's nothing wrong with that way of being either. It's just, I'm finding now that I'm a little older, there's a lot more joy in just being with them than there is in, you know, competing with them. So. Yeah. I call them my, my animal relatives. Mm-hmm. And um, when I uh, express condolences to people who are uh, letting theirs cross over, transition, pass on, I express condolences that they're losing their animal relative. Oh. And um, it's the way I, it's not, pokey or it's genuine when I say it so much so that with my editor I had a great editor for the book Melanie Mulhall of Dragonheart Writing mm-hmm. and I give her a plug she's in Colorado she's an award-winning editor so not somebody that you'd want to argue with too much about um, <laughs> about her suggestions at the same time I I wasn't going to take no for an answer kind of thing when I refer to animals I say who not that mm-hmm. the, horse, the horse there was a horse who didn't want to go out to the pasture it's again not not cutesy to me it's the way I really see it I, I it does I wouldn't want to say and and plenty of writers will say that I'm probably in a, a very I'm probably in the minority but for me it's more natural to it's more authentic to say 
Yeah, there was this cat. I really, I really loved him. But uh, yeah, there was this cat who always, who who always wandered around. It feels right to me to say that rather than there's this cat that wanders around. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even roll off my tongue right now. And I know most people will say that, so I'm not uh, getting on my soapbox here. But just to your point about that, they're your relatives, they're beings, they're mm-hmm. sentient beings. I give them a who rather than a that. So. I love that. And actually that has come up on the podcast before where oh, uh, like an editor, yeah, an editor will say uh, that rather than who. And then there's a couple other uh, phrases around the animal being a thing as opposed to the animal yeah. being a being. So that yeah. that's very interesting that you had that conversation with your editor that has come up before. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it's stayed, but, but you know, there, there's a difference right there between uh, like the different kind of relationships that, you know, someone who hasn't been with horses, it's very easy for them to see it that way. But for people who are very highly engaged with animals in, in their herds, yeah, it's it's a different kind of experience of how you view them. And then yeah. and then I love this question. What does creativity mean to you, Nancy? Oh, I love that question, too, because it's so open. Yeah, it's funny. Talk about, oh, man, synchronicity. I just joined this uh, women's group on Wednesdays virtual and there's an intention set every um, every week and the one for this week is to be aware of the creative fires within (laughs) (laughs) I just love this these are the things that I that my mind and my heart will will notice well certainly it means being a vessel that things can flow through I've never really said it that way before, but somehow the word vessel is coming up just organically. I think we put stop gaps in and we like the the self-critic and the tutor is in there. And I really think we don't even need other people to criticize our our creative <laughs> processes. We can do it very well ourselves. Thank you very much. Yes. So I think just sitting quietly and seeing what's rising is the first step. And if the little voice wants to come in and and pick at it, just like notice that, and that's part of the creative process. Oh, okay, the tutor is uh, the tutor is there. Yeah, okay. In a minute, just you 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 have a seat over there. I'm going to sit with this and see what comes of it. And then on a very practical note, because that's a little bit airy, on a practical note, I think you need to write things down because mm-hmm. I don't I don't have the confidence that I'm going to remember something you know, down the road. One of my least favorite expressions is uh, people say, oh, if it's important enough, you'll remember it. I don't know if you grew up with that one. Mm -hmm. Awful. I don't believe that for a minute. I have forgotten the most important things regularly. And then they, you know, they come back um, if you're, if you're graced, if you're lucky. So I think that um, when you have a creative flow, um, it behooves you to jot it down. That's the practical the practical part of it. Be very, very open and jot it down. And then just surround yourself with people who, uh, if you're going to share your creative ideas, are going to support you. Otherwise, just keep them quietly to yourself. Let them brew a little bit and marinate. Mm-hmm. I mean, great advice. And I, I really, I really agree with you. Surround yourself with people who will support your passions and 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 not be naysayers because that that doesn't help because you are right. We do that enough to ourselves when we're, when we're working on a creative project or want to try something new with our lives. But I love that you said, write it down. I am so the same. Like I 
I will get up out of bed in the middle of the night when I've had a thought and I will write it down in my journal. And often those become chapters in my books. But I know for a fact, if I didn't pop up and go write it down, I drive my husband crazy. But if I didn't pop up and write it down, then it would it would have been lost. I might remember pieces, but not not the whole context of whatever was going on. It always happens to me in the shower too. Like I have to like hurry up and finish my shower and then jump out and go write down what, what I was thinking about. I don't know what it is about water, but that seems to do it too. Yeah. Or when I'm in the barn. Oh yeah. The barn. A hundred percent. I knew you'd relate to that. I had to get that in there. It's like a whole dialogue is is going on. A screenplay is, is happening in here. Totally in the barn too. Yeah, I should have, I should have, uh, that should have been probably number one. That's where it mostly <laughs> happens, but I, I'm pretty smart. I take my journal out with me. So it's just there. So when something comes up, brilliant. I go over and I write it down and then I go back oh, to what brilliant. I was doing. Yeah. I always have I it right there with that. me. I love that idea. Thank you. Thank oh. you. Thank you. Yeah. In the past, when I boarded my horse and I hadn't started taking my journal with me, I would rip out the inside of like a feed bag, you know, how it's got the pa- the paper sack <laughs> in there love it. and find a pen and write it, write it down that way too, just because I didn't have anything. And then I started bringing I my journal. Lo- I love that. I mean, <laughs> I think if you asked them um, again, I think of this as a, something feminine. If you asked, you know, 10 women, what are the weirdest places they've written down notes? We would get some <laughs> hilarious ones. I, I won't take the time now to tell you a couple come to mind but I love yours I love yours the underside of a feed bag that is perfect <laughs> okay you, you've got to tell me one of your weird places you've written down uh <laughs> notes I have to hear I, one I once, I once reached out at night in in my bedroom and took the, the bottom of a Kleenex tissue box and just wrote it on there with a pen in the dark not even with a light on because <laughs> it was before I had an iPhone with a flashlight. We're going way back. And then in the morning, I was actually able to read what the bottom of the Kleenex box had. That's an old memory. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. You know what? Maybe I'll start. I think you just inspired me. Maybe I'll start asking that question at the mm-hmm. end of future podcast episodes as as uh, we come it. up on a new season. <laughs> I love it. I'm sure you'll get some interesting ones. I'm sure of it. I feel that. Um, I love that. Thank you for inspiring that. I once, uh, one more, I once wrote yeah. notes on a Cheez-It box that was in my car, like I, oh, with great. a, with a Sharpie. <laughs> right. Oh, that's so good. That is so good. You know, and Nancy, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. I've loved connecting with you and talking with you. And I think we're, we're on the same page about so many things. This was fun. It was funny. It was deep. It was connected. I so enjoyed it. Would you share with listeners where they can find more information about you and your books? That's very generous. To answer your question where people can find me, my website is very simple, nancyleegerson.com. I'll spell it N-A-N-C-Y-L-E-E-G-E-R-S-O-N, nancyleegerson.com. My daughter created the website so that you people can buy the book directly from me and get a nice autographed copy with a note. I really encourage that piece. But the website also has the traditional online markets, uh, Amazon and Indie Books and Indiegogo, I think. Maybe Thrift is on there. So that's the website. And then I'm on Instagram at, uh, at NancyLeeG8. And then my personal Facebook page is Nancy Lee Gerson. And now I get to say that the Horse Human Spirit, a triad Facebook group, that's it goes Horse Human Spirit, a triad 
I don't know if a triad comes up when you search for it. That's the official name. But if you just put in Horse Human Spirit, um, that's a Facebook group that I have with Linnea Paxton Hone and uh, Janet Alexander. Um, we're hoping that that will be um, a real community of people connected to the spiritual and emotional aspects of their uh, their time with horses. So people can find me there too. I believe the world gets changed person by person by person, horse by horse by horse, being by being by being. Mm, I love that. That is so beautiful. And I will make sure to link to all those places in your show notes so people can get directly to you and your books. And Nancy, thank you so much for the gift of your time. It has been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Equally, Carly, equally, equally. I look forward to reading all of your books. I am so behind, as you can imagine, with marketing (laughs) this one, writing the other one, and the rest of life. So I have a lot of your reading to do. Oh, and thank you. And I will support you in your efforts. And I hear you on the stack of being behind. I have a stack of books on my nightstand, probably taller than I am, um, (laughs) of of reading that I want to get through. So I do understand. But uh, thank you for that. And uh, I look forward to continuing working together. And I'm all about Authors Uniting. So I'm excited to see where we take our partnership. Namaste, Carly. Namaste. (laughs) Namaste. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.